from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. You're listening to Behind the Message. Each week we take you behind what we teach here at Westside. I'm Ben Fleming. I'm Evan Earwicker, and we are here live at the 815 at Westside Church. <laughs> All right, there. And that, that was to prove that we are indeed live and we're not uh, faking it this morning. <laughs> so we're here, uh, this is the weekend uh, of Thanksgiving, and we are taking some of our most memorable messages of the year and discussing them with Pastor Bo and Pastor Steve. And so for this first uh, service of the day. We're going to be talking through, Pastor Bo, one of your messages that came out of, uh, I don't remember what series it was, but it was on the parables of Jesus out of Matthew chapter 13. Yeah, it was the blue series on the parables of Jesus. There it was, the blue series on the parables. Um, and so we want to talk about this uh, for a little bit. I want to start uh, maybe by uh, asking how your uh, Thanksgiving was, guys. Well, how was your Thanksgiving? The biggest question that I want to ask, Bo, is number one, how long before Thanksgiving did you start listening to Christmas music? I, and, uh, no, well, I didn't this year. Why Spencer not? Spencer got to me. Uh, no, Spencer no, got why? to me. He ridiculed me so much for listening to it from November 1st on that finally I, it just sunk in. And no I, way. Mm-mm. Spencer so on, got to As you. I was cooking on Thanksgiving Day, I turned on Christmas music. He's sitting in the lounge celebrating right now. I know. Uh, secondly, what is the MVP of the Thanksgiving dinner? I'll give you mine. It is not stuffing like a lot of you hipsters think it is, because the stuffing is not great, especially when it's smothered in onions and all the disgusting stuff. You have someone that disagrees. Yeah. I just heard, oh, yeah. oh, come on. Now. Just because they disagree doesn't make them right. It's the sweet potatoes if you don't put marshmallows on them. That's the MVP. That is the MVP of the Thanksgiving dinner. Without the audience, do you agree or disagree? No, this isn't up for debate. Oh, come on now. This is a fact. It's just how it is. I'll tell you what mine is. Is the gravy. The gravy has to be amazing. You know. Yeah, you know. Right? The gravy. What a cop and, out. And listen, the, gra- the gravy enhances anything that goes on. But if the gravy's bad, if it's, if it's that flour-based stuff, it's, it's going to ruin the whole meal. It's the same for the sweet potatoes, though. Yeah. But also the gravy is how you make people think the food is hot. You just keep the gravy hot. <laughs> Everything else seems hot. It's a perfect. Wow, that's a Thanksgiving. You're welcome. The, the, the turkey came out on Tuesday, but we put hot gravy on it, so <laughs> mm, it's delicious. That's how everything tastes now. (laughs) Out of the fridge, out of the Ziploc bag. It's like, oh. (laughs) So, Bo, a lot came out during this series. We talked about, and we even just talked about the methodology of how we speak in comparison to how Jesus presented some of these parables. Because a lot of these messages, these stories that he would tell, he would finish the story and then he would just kind of leave it unended and other people would have to ask him the meaning of these things. Uh, What is the, what is how Jesus communicate? how does how does Jesus communicating in parables, how should that change maybe how we communicate within the church or how we think about Jesus? I think pr- principally we want to understand that the Old Testament, they were given bullet-pointed lists. They could, it couldn't have been clearer. Ten commandments, and then they needed it clearer, 600 commandments. And so Jesus comes and he's like, okay, I'm going to tell you stories. And the stories are going to involve a lot of questions and a lot of, he leaves a lot of things unanswered. And so the parables really are doing a lot of unteaching. They're, they're helping uh, the people of Israel to unlearn many things that they learned. And so he brings in this new way of teaching that is entirely, A, the New Testament tells us it's entertaining, even though for us it's a little bit annoying because we want it we want it to right. be like a 22-minute sitcom get the plot point, get it all resolved in that moment, answer all my questions and let me go home and eat dinner. But that's never how Jesus taught. 
And so he presents these ideas that are pretty subversive in his culture. And the parable we're talking about today that we talked about in this message is, is one of the most. In fact, this parable comes at the end of a string of about 13 little parables that he tells. But then it says he goes away with his disciples and this is the one the disciples ask him about because they're like, mm, let me just make sure I heard that right. So it's a, it's a whole new way of teaching. Jesus comes with a new command. In fact, on this parable, he, it's, they introduce it. Matthew, the writer, introduces it by saying he set this parable before him, which is the same words that Moses used when it says he set the commandments before them. So it's kind of this mirrored language. These are the new commandments. This is the new way of living. That's good. I'm going to read uh, the parable in question that we're talking about today. And this is Matthew chapter 13, um, starting in verse 24. It says, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. So his servant said, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest the gathering in the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, uh, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Um, so Jesus here clearer. is his... so clear. <laughs> Doing what he does, which is is using a lot of metaphor and then being like, bye, we'll see you that. later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what is he talking about? Clearly, he's not just speaking to the agriculture of the day. Uh, what is he trying to get across? He's not speaking just to the agriculture of the day, but he is speaking to the whole system of the day because it's an agrarian society. And so this is a, a principle they're going to understand. And um, he later on gives the interpretation of the parable, but but really he's... He, it, there's an important phrase in that line where he, in that parable where he says, the enemy comes and sows the wheat, the, seed, the weed, right in the middle of the wheat. So we like to think of this battle between good and evil. And it's clear in the parable that the enemy is the one who's doing this, the weed, the weed sowing. The farmer hasn't done a bad job. The farmer has a good work ethic. The problem is the farmer has an enemy. The seed doesn't have an enemy. The farmer has an enemy. Hmm. And the war is between the farmer and the enemy. And so what the enemy does is sow weeds in the middle of the wheat. And we like to think of this battle happening, this kind of uh, out there, out there in the, in the Congress, in the Capitol, in public schools, in the Middle East, there's this battle between good and evil. But really this battle Jesus is talking about is right in the middle of Christendom. It's right in the middle of us where he does, where the enemy does his best work, where he focuses his work is on weeds inside our seats, hmm. I think. So who's the wheat and who's the weeds? Or, or how does that work? Is that something that exists inside of me? Is the wheat and the weeds inside of me? Or am I a wheat person living with weed person? Or am I, you know, God forbid, the opposite direction, Bo? Right. Um, well, how does this all work? How, who does the parable tell you will know who's the wheat and who's the seed? Just at the end of the age... He says, you're not going to know. It's going to have to be at the end of the age, I'll sort it out in eternity. And so we all have to do business with that in our lives. Like, am I, how am I living right now? Am I living as someone who is divisive and 
and, and that kind of thing? Or am I living as a fruit-bearing disciple? I don't think it's wrong to question that, mm. but Jesus is really clear, don't touch the weeds. You don't, you're not going to know. You're not going to be smart enough to know whether the Apostle Paul is a wheat or a seed. You're, In your message, you said, you said this way, we are extremely unqualified to determine who is seed and who is wheat. Yeah, I like how I put extremely unqualified. <laughs> not just unqualified. Yeah. Un, 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 unqualified. Unqualified. Yeah, yeah, we're not qualified. And Jesus just made it really clear. You don't, we're, the weed is not at war with the seed. And the seed is not, a, this is not a war between us and them. Even if we pick the evil of the world, the people we can clearly look at and go, oh, those guys are bad, they're evil. Mm. Jesus still says, that's not your war. Don't get involved in that war. And for, for him talking to these people, they're people who, that's their whole ethos was destroy the enemy, dispossess the land of its of its inhabitants before you can possess it. And now Jesus comes and says, you don't get to pull them out. You don't get to decide who's who. Let's get some uh, questions going. If we can put the text line up. Um, if you want to get your phones out, we can start sending some questions into us around this topic of, of what to do uh, when you feel like, you know, this person is divisive in my life or in my church. Uh, there's people that I disagree with or don't think they have the right uh, idea about who God is or what who I am and, and what is our response to those people? Now, Bo, my question is, what about if, let's say we have um, a group leader, a blue group leader, or someone who is in a role of leadership, uh, whether it's in the community or in this church, and they say, well, isn't it my job to kind of be a gatekeeper and keep division out and keep people who are, have the wrong motives away from people who are developing in their faith and, and becoming disciples? Isn't that the job of somebody beyond just Jesus? Yes, it is. And we, we bring those things in from other New Testament, you know, teaching, especially the teachings of Paul, how to be careful that you, you safeguard and grow good disciples. And, but, but this parable doesn't teach that. And so when we're speaking and when we talk about it in our teaching team meetings, and this podcast is behind the message, so when you're looking underneath this and saying, how do we figure out a message here at Westside, we want to be careful to teach what the what the text teaches and to not be too get, because what I think is that you have to wrestle that out the the we as listeners and as students of the word have to wrestle that out and say okay so then what does the bible teach me about what to do with the wheat yeah if with the seed I'm, I have such a problem with those seed and the weed and the thing but what to <laughs> seed, do with the wheat, bad guy weed. What, yeah, what's my of... job what do I do with the bad guy how do I raise a kid for instance in a world full of weeds and keep them safe. Because the Bible's also clear, we need to raise good, fruitful disciples. Right. So I think that that is, of course, it's incumbent on us to do that. But still, I think Jesus means for us to live with this in the background of our thinking. You have to be careful about thinking you know who's in and who's out. Mm. And the minute we start thinking we figured this out, we know all the people that are in and all the people that are out, we're going to be in trouble and we're going to make mistakes. And in doing so, we can pull out some, what is it? Wheat. <laughs> With the weed. <laughs> yeah, that was what you said. You said if you pull out the weeds, you just might pull out the wheat as well. Yeah. And you've been in, in ministry for a while. Have you ever had that kind of experience happen with you, especially in youth ministry? Because oh, I don't yeah. know about you. Because yeah, yeah. I want to just pull out all the youths sometimes. Yeah. And, and they, <laughs> you guys, Spencer Schauber's your youth pastor, all right? So <laughs> your kids are safe. Um, 
But sometimes, even just as I'm as I'm speaking, sometimes too, I'm like, all right, that's it. You're the wheat, and you're the weeds. Get out, because you don't respect me, and I want to be respected right now. And I just want sometimes my emotions, my humanity, my whatever. I just want to give up yeah. on a certain section or group of people because it would just be so much easier yeah. that way. Yeah. Well, in West Side in particular, let's talk about youth for a minute because we've always had a heart for youth that are are far from God, for youth that don't necessarily fit into the the um, I was raised Christian from the womb kind of thing. Yeah. People who, who don't aren't familiar with Jesus. So they come into our building and that's been, I was the youth pastor, that that's hard to know. How are these impacting these, these little sweet, loving Jesus? They know all the songs, they do it right. And how right. are these scary looking ones going to blend? And how's that all going to work? And there were times where I made some real mistakes. Yeah. Um, I don't really want to talk about that, <laughs> but there were times where I did. And well, for instance, in the, I was in the early two thousands, we made a very big deal about how girls dressed when they came mm. to youth group. And we'd be like, you know, you can't dress bad. You're going to make all these boys stumble. And I look back on it and I think there, there was a better way to do that. I was automatically kind of looking at them like they're here to, to do damage to my precious seed. Right. And I, I wish I would have been more careful about saying, hey, Seed, you got to be strong and you got to be right. And we're going to welcome everybody and we're going to make this a safe place. That way, and Spencer does a way better job. <laughs> so what do we do then? So uh, that makes a ton of sense to me. I've adopted that philosophy as a pastor, despite what I said <clears throat> like 30 seconds ago. And, um, but uh, so let's make it personal. Let's make it about me, okay? So what if in my life, you know, I feel like I need to be more protected, but I know that the Bible tells me to go into all the world and speak the gospel and be a light. And, and then even what about my kids? Because my, I have a four-year-old and a one-year-old, and if my four-year-old is hanging around with some four-year-old people that I discern to be weeds... They are. Some of you them know, are just never going to amount to Exactly. That's what I'm saying. I can <laughs> tell right now. Just kidding. That's terrible. But... um. <laughs> <laughs> but I do, I, I want to be like, okay, that is it. He's not spending time with him anymore. He's not spending time with that family. Get, all of a sudden, in philosophy, it makes a ton of sense to say, well, you got to give it time. We don't know. We don't understand. And who knows how that's going to turn out. Mm -hmm. But when it hits home for me, I just want to protect my kids. I want to yeah, protect what's I don't, mine. I don't think the parable prohibits that. I think the parable lets you set up the safeguards you need to set up to grow good seed. But I think it also says... Always be cautious about who you assume is out. Always be cautious. You don't, and don't go to war with them. So I think when we go to war on social media, when we go to war over family dinner, when we go to war over issues that we think define someone's eternal spirituality, I think that's when we're in trouble. And that's when we've gotten off into this weird cul-de-sac of Christianity that is not effective and that makes no impact on our world. Well, it does make an impact, sadly. Right. And so, you know, yeah, the, the Bible also says, you know, bad company corrupts good people. And so be careful who you surround yourself with. And all. You, we still have to, we're responsible for our spiritual life. And that's I think the parable, I'm not trying to write things into this that aren't there. We have to just bring everybody in and let all the dangerous people take care of our kids in the nursery. And that's love. <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. Right. There's all kinds of room for safeguard. But what it's saying is always live knowing your war is not with them. The war is divine. It's cosmic. It's between good and evil, not between men and women or 
Republicans and Democrats, or, you know, we've just got to be really careful how we treat both the wheat and the weed. That's good. A lot of questions coming in. Uh, here's one in reference to, is the war ours or not? Uh, I understand that we focus this on our church family, but there's also veterans, men and women who serve and protect our country, and they have decided to fight for us against a real enemy. Some of the way that this is presented can almost seem like we're saying the war isn't ours to fight. W what about when we talk about, like, legit enemies that are trying to kill us or criminals and and uh, people that the police are tasked with apprehending and stop. Are, are we speaking to that as well? Or is this inside the church? I love how we tackled this topic at 815. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, we don't tackle it. We tackle it. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I think the the killer line in this parable is this is going to be sorted out in eternity. So Jesus is clearly talking about a spiritual situation. Jesus is talking about something that is inherently spiritual, and he's talking about um, inside your culture, you're going to want to say this person is going to hell, They're, or we're going to actually kill someone. We don't do that in the church anymore, but they did it then. Um, Jesus stands as an example. And so I think that when we look at, at the the context of this, we can see Jesus is talking about this culture in which we literally kill people who don't believe like we believe. I don't think it applies to soldiers and war and police. Yeah. A lot of questions about the the line of good and evil that exists within us. Uh, and this, this comment says, perhaps good and evil coexist in all of us. That is our journey to strengthen the good in ourselves while giving uh, the evil uh, to the Holy Spirit to undo. And then another question came in saying, why are you so certain in the parable the weeds and the wheat are not individual battles within each of us? So more of a heart uh, concern between the two sides that are alive in me as opposed to relational. Um, well, there, there are a couple reasons I feel like this is about individuals. Mostly it's because uh, it feels like how do we... We, we are supposed to live in a way that, that we are dealing with stuff in our life that isn't okay, that corrupts us. And so if we interpret the parable that way, it would, it would kind of tell us we could just leave it alone and Jesus will work it out in eternity. And I'm, I don't believe that, but, but this, this is, you got to interpret it. You got to do the work. And I'm never going to try to sell you my interpretation on something. So for me, that to me would look like it's a that's not, that doesn't feel like a a good st uh, it's not consistent with mm. the rest of the teachings of Jesus that we do have to live in a way that keeps our heart clear and pure and growing and abiding in Him. So I think that would give us some license to check out. Yeah, and in your message you said uh, that our job, rather than feeling like we're going around having to judge who's wheat and who's weeds, our job is to make sure that our own hearts and our own seed of our hearts is good and is growing, and that should be our primary concern and where our energy goes. Yeah, and I think secondarily, our concern should be to help other people grow in terms of sowing good things in them. There, I'm, th this is not to say we don't have any skin in the game. Right. This is to say, put it in the right arena. Use your use your power for good rather than for plucking people out. Um, and don't give up on anybody. 
There's a statement in here. It's not so much a question. It just says, sounds like we must be careful about giving too much credit to faithful Christian people. I 100% agree. <laughs> um, there, there's so much that we would assume in our lives when we look at somebody's life, when we look even at their church attendance, we would assume so much about what their lives or how they think or how they feel about people. Um, and I think we've seen some evidence of that even in the church. Uh, look who becomes pastors more often than not. Hello, I'm a pastor's kid. You know, I grew up in the church and, you know, that's me. And I get a lot of things. I get a lot of opportunities because oftentimes of the upbringing or even my own church attendance went, you know, and, and, and so I don't think that's necessarily clearly a healthy way to look at people, if, to view them from that outside perspective and just say, because here's the thing, the church needs more diversity. We need more backgrounds and we need more experiences. I'm not just saying that, um, you know, anybody from any background should come in and we should be a, you know, we, they can be a pastor. What I am saying is that, man, when I see somebody who's been through something difficult or they've had a, a life experience that doesn't look like mine or even, God forbid, they've got a bunch of tattoos and they've got a history that doesn't look or resemble anything like mine. I am started to think instead of, man, that, you know, they're kind of rough around the edges and, you know, maybe well, I got to talk to them, make sure they're all right. You know, instead I start to think, man, can we have more of those people on our team? Not because of their specific life experience, but just because I need something different than me. The church needs a different voice than kind of the married with two kids white guy all the time that just comes and speaks from the platform. We need a diversity of people within the within the walls of the church. Yeah, people like that thought that less of the guys like us are up hey. here on the stage. I like that. Get me off the stage. Thanks, guys, all for right. supporting his point. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> All my sweet potato people out there, you got my back. <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay, <laughs> where am I gravy? Uh, anyway, I'm representing the tattoo people this time. Hey, yeah. all right. I'm excited about that. I'm the, I'm the edgy one. I, lo I love how, and I, I'm not mocking you for doing this, but we still go have our go-to of like what a rough person 100%. is, and tattoos still 100%. make the list. I'm impressed. Um, yeah. anyway. I was doing that for other people. Okay, I got you. Okay, Evan. all right. Jeez. Well, and I think that you make a good point, Ben. If we can pull it back together, <laughs> I'm sometimes the mom. <laughs> um, I think that's a good point that we, Jesus, I think just a chapter or two ahead of this says to, to the uh, scribes and Pharisees, there is a people who worships me with their mouth, but their heart is far from me. And he's quoting Isaiah. And those people, when Jesus would have quoted that to them, those people would have said, yeah, we know who those people are. <laughs> and Jesus is like, welcome. It's you, you are they. And so th there's always this awareness. I, yeah, I've got this, I've got this weedy stuff in me and I want to deal with that. I want to, I want to not be the person who thinks she's just like him. And I'm just a country mile outside of the right. way of Jesus. And isn't it, uh, I guess a good thing for us to lean away from playing that role of deciding who's weeds, lest we find that in the end we are the weeds and that we have cultivated this uh, culture where we're constantly calling people out and throwing people out. And mm -hmm. um, what about when there's evil in me? Yeah. You know, what, what, when that turns on me, mm -hmm. I don't want that kind of judgment. And so shouldn't we create an environment in the church uh, where we say, uh, we don't believe it doesn't matter. Uh, what you think and what you believe and how you act and how you live. Uh, but it's not necessarily our jobs to be the policemen of all those heart issues yeah. that only God can really know and, and deal with. And when we become that, that kind of policing society of everyone's behavior and everyone's tattoos and everyone's thing, we reproduce disciples like us. And that gets ugly fast. That becomes, you know, churches that are cultures where you, you can't, 
people can't breathe. They right. can't fit. They can't bring people who don't look like the other people. And yeah. and I just I just never want to be that. This question says, when you find yourself in the mindset of trying to separate the weeds and the seeds, what are some ways in your life that you have overcome that way of thinking? Oh, man. I sure wish I had overcome that way of thinking before I sat up here. <laughs> it would have been such a good idea to do that this morning. No, I mean, I'm just trying to catch it more quickly than ever. I'm just trying to be like, what? Why are you judging that? Why are you? I was at a, uh, oh, I shouldn't, I don't think I can. I was at an event last night. <laughs> and there were people there that I don't, I didn't know them. But they, they were like, had had a little to drink and they were dancing crazily and I felt my heart just like and I'm like stop it just stop it you're just so it's just so easy to get just little arrows going out from everywhere and I think people feel it even if you don't say anything even if, and I just want people to feel loved I don't want them to have to earn it or prove it or win it or you know, look like me or dance like me, although that'd be awesome. <laughs> I think we can all agree. If they would awesome dance would like be. me, then they would be. <laughs> so leaning into that thought, though, because uh, we've been talking about inside the church, uh, how do we act outside the church to people who don't profess to be uh, followers of Jesus or believers? Or um, Because it seems like our tendency historically has also to been be judgy and proudly proclaim where those people can go, mm-hmm. even to their faces. But what is the role as we see the life of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus when we're outside of these walls, interacting with people at work or just in town? What's our attitude towards them when we see things that maybe we don't agree with happening? Well, gosh, I think it'd be so cool if our attitude could be kind and normal. Like if we could just be normal people who love people who who don't necessarily go to our church or who will never or who are are you know are a spectacle i just think it would be good if we could really love them and be kind and of course there there are times when we have to stop things that are wrong and and stand in the way of things that aren't aren't good but and especially speak up for the voiceless and that kind of thing. But I think if we could just be be more kind and less, you know, scrunchy faced yeah. people, I think is the Greek. Yeah, it's something that's helped help my mindset. A scrunchy face. I'm going to use that on Tuesday. <laughs> uh, something that's helped my mindset is just always trying to keep in mind the long game of it all. And I'm thinking about especially teachers out there. My, my, I'm a, I'm, I come from a family of teachers. My dad's one of 12 kids and I think seven of them became teachers. And uh, my mom was a teacher and a principal. And, uh, she, she reminded me early on because I was judging my own classmates in this way. And she would say, well, yeah, I mean, there's lines not crossed and you don't want to do this and you don't want to be okay with that. But at the same time, she said, you will be shocked at how many of your friends or how many of your classmates 10 years down the road are going to write me an email or they're going to contact you or something like that saying, man, that thing that you did, the time you opened up your house. That was a dramatic impact on my life. She said the only regrets that she's had is when she has completely cut students out or people out of her life because then the relationship can't possibly grow back because she's completely ended it. And instead that when that door is open, when you have in mind the long game, you have in mind that the Holy Spirit, hello, is going to come in and speak into this life, then there's an opportunity for forgiveness. There's an opportunity for for someone to come back and, and for you to give mercy constantly again and again and again and again. The problem that I have, and maybe you have it as well, 
well is that when I offer grace two or three times and it flies right back in my face and I don't see the proper fruit, I don't see the weeds turning into the wheat, I just say, all right, that's it. I've been nice to you. And now I'm going to go into protection mode because I don't want to feel this kind of pain anymore when instead there's something longer, there's something greater at stake here. Yeah, and as you said it in your message, maybe we already quoted this, but this parable keeps us from labeling anyone too far gone. Yeah. That it keeps people in the realm of savable. Yeah. Uh, and I, I believe that people are always there. As long as they're alive in Christ, there's hope. But sometimes there's not hope as far as what we extend to people. Mm-hmm. We cut people off and say, yep, yeah, you've crossed that line of unreachable yeah. or un- unsavable. I remember um, back when my daughter was a tiny girl, there was a kidnapping in Portland where I lived. And it was really horrific the way it went down. And the guy um, killed a little boy, and it was a Wesley Allen Dodd. I don't know if you remember if anyone was in the area at that time. And and it it kept me up at night. It was such a horrible story. And I had a little one, and I was with my father, who's who's just a great man of God. And um, we were watching um, Wesley Allen Dodd's trial or his sentencing or whatever on TV, and I was just... I made some statement about him, like, I, you know, he deserves whatever is coming to him in eternity. He's, he's done, pretty much. And mm. my dad said, do you think he's beyond reach? And I was like, oh, I don't, I mean, I don't know. And my dad didn't correct me at all. He just said, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. End of story. And he did. Wesley Allen Dodd did before he was killed. Um, but it, it really struck me, like, I see people as out of reach. There are certain sins that, to me, place you outside the reach of redemption. And I want to be so careful that I'm not going to be the judge of that. I just, I don't want to, I want to believe. And especially when you see someone caught in the clutches of addiction or evil or whatever, yeah. I, I want to believe that the great God of restoration could come to them and, and make a difference instead of just piling on with the brokenness that has been served up to them all their lives. Hmm. Great question. Uh, and I'm going to ask this one because I want to know the answer is, uh, as we discuss being in the world, not of it, what are some real things we can do to teach our four-year-olds how to be leaders amongst their peers, as well as ourselves to be leaders amongst our peers? Mm, that's a really good question. What do you think, Ben? <laughs> I as our generation's pastor and... <laughs> I know, as a generation pastor, I let Joni and Spencer do great work. That's my job. Um, I just feel good church. <laughs> oh, I, because I have a four-year-old, that means I know nothing about yeah. four-year-olds. I love truth, 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 truth. You know, like I, I loved filling my kids with truth. This is, th- this is what's true, and you can stand on it. When all of the world is, is shaky and feels like nothing's solid and nothing can be known for sure, I was big into teaching my kids Truth is safe and reliable and good, and you love it and love mercy, but no truth. And here's what we believe truth is for your life. And now they've all had to like work out, work it out as they get as they're adults now. Do, do I still feel that that's my truth? Do I? But I, I wanted to really uh, feed truth into my kids' lives. I started them early with Bibles and highlighters and journals. I mean, made them little geeks really super early. And none of them outgrew. Are they still geeks? They're still geeks. Um, But I just really, I just felt that was really important um, to make sure my kids 
had relationships directly with God and not just with me and not just with my opinion, if we're talking just about kids, you know. And the rest of us, that's how we do it too, relationship with Jesus. It's, it's not more complex than that. I spend time with Jesus, I get to know the way of Jesus. I spend time in his word, I get to know the way of Jesus. When I see the word through the way of Jesus, it begins to change my way. And then I'm living in a world that's messed up, but I can still live as someone who knows truth. Yeah. Yeah, for me, when I was, uh, exactly how I'm going to parent this, I don't, I don't know how, so you can take this for what it's worth. My dad didn't shield me from everything. We had a Fleming code. We had a way of living in the Fleming household. Um, and, you know, you could probably imagine what a lot of that was like. There was certain disciplines. There was ways that we would talk and um, ways that we were allowed to play and do all the, whatever. Uh, my dad didn't shield me from everything, though. I remember going many, many times over to people's houses where I would, stay in the car. But, you know, I was nine, 10 years old. And my, I would say, what are we going over to Melissa's house for? Well, Melissa's husband has been hitting her. And he would tell me about the story. He wouldn't go into really dramatic detail. But I remember by the time I was 15, 16, I had a real good understanding for growing up in a, you know, a quote unquote sheltered pastor's home. I had a really good understanding of a lot of the ways that the world worked and a lot of the things. And the, how my dad painted that and led us in that was that he, he constantly communicated that there is a need out there. I'm not going to hide your eyes from the need that we are called to go out and help meet. Even though I don't call you to live this way, I'm not going to hide you from that. And so to answer answer the question as best I can, and I'm totally working on this. Um, how we teach them to be leaders is we teach them that there are needs that we are called to go out Good. and to reach. Yeah. And I'm aware as a parent now, my daughter's six, um, as she gets older, it becomes more obvious how, how my modeling, um, my modeling career, no, my modeling of behavior, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> how how much she is absorbing of my attitudes and I should say our attitudes, my wife and I. Um, and even just this week, there was a moment where we were being not as nice as we could be in a conversation about somebody else. And I realized it because our kids are in the back seat and, and I'm realizing that Clara's listening. And I, I stopped and I'm like, Clara, listen, we need to be kind, don't we? And even when mommy and daddy are not kind, we want to make sure that you turn out to be kind, you know, and so I'm trying to, I'm like backpedaling verbally as we're driving down the road. And I thought, oh, this is terrible because um, I, I guess if, if a kid grows up as a seed, but they're constantly bombarded by the language of weeds, guess what they start doing? Yeah. Um, and so I, I want to be more conscious so as a parent, um, not just to say, we're going to protect you from all the evils of the world, but I'm going to protect you from the evils that come out of my mouth in conversation so that you don't start mimicking and, and modeling what I've, I've shown you. Which speaks a little bit to, this is a question that came up earlier that we didn't address, was can we be sure that this weeds and seeds conversation is about um, people or is it about a struggle inside of ourselves? And it really seems like, based on the conversation, it seems like it... There's a lot of both in there, right? Well, you know what I love about this whole conversation is that this is what parables do, is they just, they lay out this table full of things that you have to wrestle with. Jesus could have been more specific. He could have done this in the way that the law was done, but he didn't. He didn't come and say, here's your new list. He said, here's a story. You get in the guts of the story and you figure it out. So all of us are leaving today with a different list of things. Like, 
oh, I need to be better about how I talk in front of my kids, or I need to be better about how I judge the people at my office, or I need to be better about, or I want to reach out to someone, right? But we have to wrestle with these things ourselves. And so Jesus has one little conversation with his disciples, and it gives us this whole uh, culture shift where we have to look and deal with ourselves. So yeah, we, we're not going to be able to answer all these questions in this parable, and that is great news. Because that opens up the life of a disciple to be yeah. able to say, Jesus, you work on me in this. Yeah. And maybe that's the point uh, of all the teachings of, of Jesus that don't draw to a nice conclusion is what does it mean for me? What does it mean for my family? What does it mean for my church? What does it mean for my uh, career and, and everything else that it speaks to us all these years later? It's good. So, um, well, thank you guys for uh, joining us for our first podcast of the day. If you want to come back, we're going to be doing different topics uh, throughout the day. Otherwise, thank you so much for joining us and uh, check our podcast out at BehindTheMessage.com.